book of Joel. I don't want to. I, I don't want to get superstitious, which I can't do as a pastor. But it's like, folks, we've had two or three weeks now without one glitch. I, I shouldn't say it, but <laughs> everything's been working great. Uh, knock on wood. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, uh, Nick and Tony, Bethany, Alan uh, have been working on this stuff, and it's it's been working great. So we. We think we, we've, we've, not we, they, have uh, got some stuff figured out, uh, some other things that have to be done yet, but at least uh, we're popping in the right direction. How's the sound? Can you hear me in the back okay? Are we good? All right. Oh, I'm glad I just saw Cheryl because it was buried under the hymn book here. One last thing before we get into the text uh, this evening. We still have about, uh, we had like, I don't know, $7,000, worth of script for sale, and we're down to, we've been trying to liquidate uh, the, the stock, uh, we're down to $1,700. So folks, it's, it's, you've done a great job uh, buying the cards and using script, and that's wonderful. So we still have about $1,700 left. I'm not going to go through it, but everybody should have gotten about a half sheet of all the things that are still available. So folks, we'd like to liquidate that uh, uh, the $1,700 worth. If uh, you went in and got your little half sheet and say, ah, you know, I'd really like to use whatever uh, particular piece of the puzzle you like on the sheet, please see Cheryl. She'll be uh, back by uh, in the offices after the service and be happy to uh, get uh, those items to you. All right, so don't forget about that, please, and let's uh, get those things gone. All right, let's go to Joel chapter 2. And we've been talking about the prophetic word, of course, as Joel is mostly prophecy. Joel chapter 1 is a little bit of historical background. As you recall, we're talking about things that existed about in 800 B.C., Tonight and uh, last night and then everything we're going to do in the book of Joel through uh, the next several weeks that will be in this particular book, we're looking at things that God is going to make happen in the future. These things have not happened yet. I just find it amazing when we read the Word of God, the amount of material that God gives us about things that are yet to happen, things to come. And it's amazing. I, I just find it, it, it just thrills me when I do this. I've talked many times in here already about when I've gone to Israel and you see things in Jerusalem and around the, the, the city of Jerusalem that are happening. Things that are pointing to things that God literally said are going to be taking place. So the prophetic word is not being fulfilled at this time. It will start being fulfilled shortly with about, there's one major exception. And I'm actually, I'm going to, next a week from tomorrow, I'll tape six uh, TV shows regarding the return of the Jews to Israel. It's Aliyah, the return of the Jewish people to Israel. And one thing that God has been doing in a marvelous way is getting the Jewish people back to their homeland. It's something he said had to happen. And uh, I'm not going to go into that tonight, but it's, it's tremendous. There's, we'll do uh, six programs on that. So tonight what we're going to do, we're going to finish up. I, I had to cut us off because we uh, kind of overran our time last week. So I cut us off at about Joel chapter 2 and verse 7. Uh, so we're going to pick up there tonight. 
So again, we're, uh, I like to put this out here as kind of one of our two or three focal points of the church. Number one, and folks, I am just, and, and I, I, I like to folks you just for a few minutes with the evening crowd because most of you are, are in leadership positions and so forth, make a lot of things happen here, and everybody here is really invested in, in Unigrove Baptist, and I so much appreciate you. But if you notice what's going to take place and what's going to take place next Sunday, we're seeing a lot of young couples starting to come. And that's just thrilling to me. Uh, the folks joining the church, they're, they're all young couples. And uh, this morning, and uh, I'm not sure who was running the nursery. Were you in there today? Or, okay. Whoever was in the nursery, we, uh, I mean, Lincoln was definitely the one baby that would be there. We had two brand new babies in the nursery today. Folks, that means young couples are starting to come. Amen? I mean, it's good. Amen? Thank you. <laughs> uh, but folks, what is that saying? It's like we're, you're doing what God's asked us to do. Now we've got folks of all ages that have been visiting every single week. We're having somewhere between three and upwards of uh, eight to ten people that have been showing up, and it's been wonderful. So things are starting to move. We're going in the right direction, and uh, we just need to keep it up. So again, next week is critical. If you, if you can't invite folks, uh, they're going to see, especially if they're, they're unchurched folks, they're going to see things next week that, quite frankly, they probably never seen in their life or maybe very, very rarely uh, with the baptisms and the membership and the testimonies and all that. So great time to invite folks. All right, so what are we looking at? We're looking at peeling God's word one, uh, one word at a time. That's kind of one of our focal points. The other one is, I should have said it first before this, but we are the church that God's love is building. And I'm going to uh, make that kind of one of our homestay concepts, the church that God's love is building. What are we doing? We're reaching out to folks. We're doing a lot of, you know, most of you don't know the amount of times that we're having dine with the pastor and meeting with folks and having them over and uh, just loving on people. And it's working because God loves people and he, he's using us to do the same. So keep it up. Uh, again, if you haven't had a chance to dine with the pastor and Valerie, it's coming. But um, you got to pray. No, don't pray we slow down so you can get a dinner. But uh, <laughs> let's just keep it going. Keep this momentum going forward. All right. So let's get in again our theme verse for the book of Joel. Joel chapter 1 verse 15. We're talking about the theme, the day of the Lord. Specifically, the day of the Lord, as most of you that have been attending know, is focusing on the seven-year tribulation period. However, based on the context, and the context will always let you know, it can also refer to the one specific day, the 24-hour period, when Jesus Christ himself returns to the earth. We're going to see a teeny bit of that today uh, as we expand into the book of Joel. All right, so if you weren't here last week, we're going to do a very quick review, and then we'll start pushing forward in our text. And uh, Joel chapter 2 verse 4 is talking about this locust group that is going to be coming during the tribulation period and, in, and stinging people in a horrific way. We'll, we'll bring that back. Some of you have seen this. Some of it will be new to you if you weren't here last week. So here's what it starts out. Joel chapter 2 verse 4. Their appearance are these locusts that will be coming out, these demonic locusts that will be stinging people and causing tremendous pain. He says their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap 
like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Look at the first line. Their appearance is as what? Horses. All right, so uh, if you were here last week, I put this slide up basically as a, a comparison. It's like when I first read that years ago, I was like, wonder why he calls them locusts, but they look like horses. And I brought up a head of a locust and the head of the horse. And folks, they're outside of being a, a little bit different. The basic shape is pretty much the same. And I'm like, well, that's very interesting. So again, we don't know exactly what these creatures are going to look like. We do know that they're demonic creatures. We'll look at the passage, the corresponding passage in Revelation. But these horrific creatures, just like God had warned back in chapter 1. Remember, those of you that have been with us now for the study in Joel. If we look back at chapter 1, pretty much we're almost going to see a duplicate of the same language in chapter 2 that we saw in chapter 1. Because in chapter 1, what was taking place? He was looking, Joel was looking at what was taking place in 800 B.C. A horrific locust plague that had wiped out their crops. Remember that? And now he's saying in chapter 2, didn't you guys get it? When I told you in chapter 1, just before this, I was warning the Jewish people specifically that there is coming a day when I'm going to inflict pain upon you just like is happening today. He said, the only way that you can avoid that is if you'll repent, you'll get right with God and do the right thing. And then we pop into chapter 2, and basically God lets us know that the people will not repent. It's prophetic. God knows what's going to happen in the future, and he lays it out. So he's talking in chapter 2 now about uh, a different type of locusts that are not just going to devour the crops, but they're actually going to sting and cause horrific pain on people. Before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. Let's look at, go back again, just as a quick review. Revelation chapter 9 is the companion passage. And this is, I mean, it's a horrific thought. Then out of the smoke, again, we're in the seven-year tribulation. This isn't happening today. It's after the rapture of the church. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were commanded, again, to harm only those men who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. Well, the only time in Revelation that God talks about sealing anyone is in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4, where the 144,000 young male Jewish virgin evangelists come to Christ. They will be sealed. The question often comes up, after the rapture of the church. How's the gospel going to get out? All the Christians are gone. Who's going to give the gospel to the unsaved folks that are left on the earth? Well, in Revelation chapter 7 and uh, chapter 11 and 14, it gives us the exact scenario what's going to happen. Specifically in Revelation 7, it tells us about 12,000 individuals from every tribe in Israel will be chosen by God. They will come to Christ and they will be out there sharing the gospel. 
In those chapters, it also talks about two witnesses that will be out there, two men that God will anoint with tremendous power to go out and preach the gospel. And uh, we're not going to get into the, into the specifics, but uh, if you're familiar with the passage, it's often people are like, well, who's the two witnesses going to be? And everybody speculates about usually between three different individuals. So here's the deal. This is free <laughs> because it's speculation. All right, so the two witnesses, 144,000, of course, there are 12,000 from every tribe that'll be out there preaching the gospel. Those are the ones that'll be sealed during that seven-year tribulation that'll be out there doing God's work. The two new witnesses, here's the two theories. I'll tell you which one is correct. Hmm, biased, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, so the theory is, theory number one is that who was at the transfiguration? Moses and... Elijah, okay? So the one theory is based on Moses and Elijah appearing at the transfiguration of Christ that it must be Moses and Elijah. Well, okay, there's two, one other major possibility, which is where I tend to lean towards, is there's two individuals, and if I asked you for the names, you'd say them. It's Elijah and who? Starts with an E. Enoch, thank you, Jody. Uh, Enoch and Elijah. What have happened to Enoch and Elijah? Yeah, they both were taken up to heaven without what? Neither one died. All right, so you have Enoch and Elijah that God transforms, takes them up to heaven. And the passage, of course, that those of us who like that theory go to is that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the... Then the judgment, right? All right, so it's appointed unto Enoch and Elijah never died. So they're my two picks for the two witnesses. Am I right or wrong? We'll find out why we're up in heaven and we'll see who God picks, all right? But I'm pretty sure it's Enoch and Elijah. <laughs> all right, so the, the crux of the form is though we want to get back to these scorpions. So what happens with these scorpions is a little review. They were not given authority to kill the people, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. I, uh, and sorry for those that were here last week, but again, as a tiny bit of review, uh, Jimmy DeYoung Jr., actually, Jimmy happens to be preaching about an hour north of me today, so those of you that know uh, Jimmy DeYoung, thank you for not going there and coming here tonight. Uh, I love Jimmy. He's uh, my mentor, uh, one of my guy that's taught me a tremendous amount of prophecy, and I, I'd be there too, but uh, I can't. Anyway, great guy. The bottom line is this. His son, Jimmy DeYoung Jr., who's about yeah, 55, 60 right now, was in Israel. He does Israel tours all the time, and he got stung by a scorpion on his back. It was so painful, so horrible, that it put him in the hospital. He's like, you know, I, he felt like he was going to die. The pain was so bad. Here's what God's saying, and that's a perfect example. People are going to be stung by these demonic scorpion locusts, if you will. And it says their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, and here's, I just, I, this, this astounds me. Men will seek death and will not find it. 
They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle and their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. All right, so what happens? These demonic beings during the seven-year tribulation at a specific time are going to come out. They're going to sting people with these horrific, painful stings. The reason I put this up, if you weren't here last week, a picture of a bridge down in uh, Milwaukee, the home bridge is there. When I worked for the sheriff's office, oh, at least once or twice a month, someone would go to the top of the home bridge, they would jump off in hopes of committing suicide. If they landed in the improper way, they would die instantly from the force, breaking their neck, crushing them with the force of the water. If they landed just right like a diver and their feet went in first usually, they usually survived. Crippling injuries, sometimes broken necks, broken arms, bro broken various parts, but they would live. God is saying that during the tribulation time when these scorpions sting somebody, there will be a 100% survival rate for those trying to commit suicide. You say, well, that, how is he going to do that? I don't know. How does somebody take a gun, fire it in their head, trying to commit suicide, and nothing happens? By the way, do not try that today. You will die or be seriously injured. During the tribulation time, they're going to live. They'll take a knife. They'll try and saw their hand off to get to the arteries. God won't let them die. They'll overdose on pills, but they will not die. How's God going to preserve them? I don't know. But I do know that what God says is going to happen. So when's all this going to take place? All right, now we're going to start jumping into the next section. Again, Joel, creation, we go back to Adam and Eve, the beginning of the world. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. In six days God created everything that in there is. Review what two chapters, if we go there, can we actually find out how old this earth is and when the creation took place? Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 11. You go there, you can literally date it right back to approximately 4,000 B.C. as to when the earth and Adam and Eve were created in six literal, that's four, six literal days. All right. Uh, and then Joel is prophesying, of course, in 800 B.C. Now we're moving ahead to our current age. So we have the cross. We're currently living in the church age. Joel is not prophesying about the age in which we live. This age has existed for almost 2,000 years. The event that we keep saying is the rapture of the church when Jesus Christ comes and gets us out of here. Could happen at any moment. Shortly after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist will come on the scene, Daniel 9.27, confirm a peace treaty, a covenant with the people of Israel. That's huge. Joel, if you look at the bottom middle of your screen right now, Joel is talking about this period that will take effect after the rapture of the church and during that seven-year tribulation period. That is when these scorpions will come out. That is when these things will happen for a five-month period. We don't know the specific time of it, but it's going to happen. The great tribulation, or the worst part, the most horrible part, the most terrifying part, takes place in the last three and a half years, which I am speculating, can't prove, is when these stings will take place. 
All right, so we're going to jump ahead tonight. We're going to finish out a little bit about the tribulation uh, period in Joel chapter 2. And then also in Joel chapter 2, we're going to go into the next section. So we're going to go from the end of the seven-year tribulation period. The event that ends the seven-year tribulation period is the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Revelation 19, 1 uh, through verse uh, 10. So, Jesus Christ is going to come back, uh, and actually starting at verse 11 through 21 of Revelation 19, it goes through the specifics of Jesus Christ coming back. Then what happens, after a period of time, which we're not going to go through all the details tonight, Jesus Christ is going to set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom where things will be completely changed. Now, we touched on this last week. Remember when we went to Isaiah and we talked about the changes that will start to happen on this earth. It will return to a near Edenic state. We talked about oxes that will be eating straw, lions that will be eating straw, bears that will be eating straw. You say, well, why are they going to do that? Why is a little child be, going to be, according to Isaiah 11, going to be able to go over the dead of a venomous snake and not be hurt? Because when Jesus Christ comes back, a good portion, if you will, of that curse is lifted that was inflicted in Genesis chapter 3. All right, so here's where we left off last week. So Joel chapter 2, that's where we're going to pick up. I very quickly went through the pictures we're going to look at, but I didn't go to the text. So here's the text. We're talking still about these horrific locusts, the stinging locusts, the scorpions, if you will, that will be inflicting pain on the people during the tribulation period. Verse 8, they do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. Oh, well, isn't that interesting? They lunge between what? Somebody's going to be, they're going to try and kill these things. Whatever they are, however big they are, whatever they look like, they're going to be visible. And God is telling us that he's going to not only preserve the life of every person alive, he will seal the 144,000 so they don't get the pain, but he says these scorpions, these demonic creatures, Somehow they're going to be able to get through the weapons and not be harmed. Verse 9, they run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They run into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army for his camp is very great. We're getting ready for God to return, for Jesus Christ to return. We're getting into these horrific, catastrophic judgments. For strong is the one, speaking of the Lord, who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Very terrible. Who can endure it? So here we go. Today we're sitting here fairly peacefully, right? We are. Got the air conditioning running, not too bad today. For the most part, we have no worries, no cares about someone in coming in here and disrupting the service. We're good. And now what God is saying during the seven-year tribulation period, after the, we're out of here, this place is going to turn into, the world's going to turn into a chaotic place. And now we're getting to the closeness of when Christ is going to return to set up his kingdom here on earth. 
and God is inflicting, remember this, and these, this is the key. This is a key to understanding why we're going through all this. God is destroying the things that have been absolutely, positively obnoxious to God himself. They have fought against him. They have blasphemed him. They have gone against his word. The people have rebelled. And God's saying, judgment's coming. I'm not going to put up with this in my kingdom. He's taking a very, very firm, strong stance and everything that's evil and fun, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be taken out. Let's take a look at just some concepts. Think about this. He's talking about horrific earthquakes that are going to take place during this time. Now again, I don't know if any of you have ever been in an earthquake. I've been in just a couple of little teeny tiny ones, not much that do anything. But imagine... And maybe some of you have been here where there's just been absolute catastrophic destruction. Do you, un yeah. the closest thing most of us have come to this is maybe a thunderstorm. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and a massive thunder takes place. Or a massive lightning bolt happens. So... Somebody sitting here, I won't say his name, but his initials are John Seacosh, was telling me a little story that happened just a couple weeks ago. And uh, actually, it's about a week, isn't it? Oh, it's two days. Oh, wow. All right. So you must have just talked to me. That's how good my memory is. Anyway, he's telling me they're, they're at their home, and all this, I mean, it was a bad, bad storm that came through. The storm, a lightning bolt hits a tree next door to them. The tree got hit so hard that it shattered it. It started on fire, right? Didn't start. Didn't start on fire, but it, bottom line, the tree falls over, goes through the house next door in the top of the roof. So in the pouring rain, God bless John, he gets out there and uh, it's a, a older lady that lived next door and he gets out there with a the tarp and, and starts patching up the roof so didn't wreck her entire house. Now, let me ask you, have you ever heard that thunder crack that's so loud that it shook your house and you went, ooh? Or seen the lightning bolt and, I mean, it just, it kind of, think of something uh, that you might have been through that just kind of set, like, wow, that, that was a bit scary. And now think about this, where horrific, horrendous earthquakes are taking place, and God said they were going to happen, in, or it will happen during the tribulation period. Can you imagine the fear that will overcome people? In Revelation 6, in the last verse, it tells us about one of the first earthquakes that will happen during the tribulation period. And it, let's, let's turn to Revelation 6. Let's just look at how people are going to react to this. By the way, the worst earthquake ever that will ever occur in the entire history of the world will be in Revelation 16, 10 chapters later at the end of the tribulation. Revelation chapter 6, we're still talking about events at the beginning of the tribulation. Let's take a look at an earthquake that's going to happen seven years probably before the one in Revelation 16. Okay, verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and 
every mountain and island was moved out of its place. You're like, oh yeah, okay, no big deal. Are you kidding me? <laughs> every mountain and island is moved out of its place. Folks, there's not a person on this earth that isn't, that's alive at that time that survives this earthquake that isn't going to be like scared to death. And here's what the Word of God says. Verse 15, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Remember what we talked about this morning? about faith, faith that's alive and faith that's dead, even the demons believe and tremble, though they'll never trust Christ. These mighty men, these individuals, they're like, hide us from the face of God. They realize where the wrath is coming from, but yet they say, hide us from the wrath of God. They don't fall on their face, repent and get right with God and become, if you will, believers in the Lord. They believe in him, but they won't trust him. Yeah, we know it's coming. Yeah, we see his wrath. Hide us from it. And they refuse to repent. Folks, why do we teach prophecy? And we say this almost every time I preach on, on prophecy, which is most Sunday nights right now. It's because there's a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to remove me and you from this earth. I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime. Could be tonight. May not be in our lifetime. I'm praying it's in our lifetime. And we're out of here. And now... People that are left behind to go through the horrific things that will be taking place on this earth, like the earthquakes, like absolute catastrophic things, watching their neighbors die, watching their families die, watching the horrific things that are taking place, seeing tremendous fires that are billowing across the land, watching as millions and millions, yea, billions of people that will die during that time period. It's going to happen. Just as sure as something like COVID is causing an absolute chaotic situation across the world right now, folks, that is just nothing compared to what's coming. You see just one little disease. What is happening to our culture? What is happening to people? The, the mass, and, and some people are just in absolute hysteria over what's happening. Others are much more calm about it. And I'm not trying to downplay that whatsoever. I understand people are concerned. That's fine. You, they, no problem. But what I'm saying is something that simple, something that easy, something that most people now, if they're concerned, they're wearing masks, they've got a way to get, there's no way to get through this. Absolute no way to get through it. They're going to suffer through. And we preach on prophecy because folks just like you've been doing, God bless you. You're out there telling your friends, telling your neighbors, telling the folks you work with, telling everybody that you possibly can that will listen to you. Listen, why don't you come to church with us? And some of you have gone and actually told folks the gospel. Folks, that's, that's what God's called us to do. This is the center. This is what I hope becomes a revival center for people. This is a place where people can come and find out they're loved and they're cared for. 
It's a place where, where sinners can come and say, my, my, my life has been messed up. I, I, there's no hope for me. I, I'm, I don't know how God was ever going to forgive me or take me in after what I've done. And we take them in and say, God loves you. And we give them the gospel. And we'll see lives changed like we've been seeing on occasion already. And folks, that's what Union Grove Baptist Church is all about. Changed lives. Remember when God changed you? Remember where you used to be? You say, well, I got saved when I was four years old. I couldn't get in a whole lot of trouble back then. Well, God bless you. Thank you. you know, praise God you didn't. But some of us, some of folks have been through some horrible things in their life and God pulled them out of the ditch, gave them a new life. Folks, that's wonderful. That's what we're talking about here. I don't want people to have to go through these horrific things in the future. So as we look at the, the Israel, and you can tell uh, if you look down at the bottom, you can see the Dome of the Rock there, uh, where the, the third temple will be built during the tribulation time. We're talking in scripture here, not just about the city of Jerusalem, not just the era of Israel. We're talking about worldwide calamity that will be coming. Joel chapter 12. So God now is talking. He's not talking now to the to the ancients he's now talking prophetically to the jewish people that are alive during that time period and now he's making the exact same statement to him he made to the people back in 800 bc now therefore says the lord turn to me with all your heart with fasting with weeping with mourning Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. What is he trying to get to the people at this point, which is still future? He's saying, listen, folks, it's time not to do just what Jewish culture was back in the day. What you see on the screen is Jewish culture. Jewish culture was when a, when, a, when a Jewish person was repenting, when they were trying to get right with God, they would take their garments, they would rend them, rip them to shreds, they would take ashes, pour them on top of their heads, and they put on burlap in a sign of absolute contrition towards God. And the Lord is saying, let's go back to it. He says, what? Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. In other words, he does not want to harm the people. Get right with God. That's what he's saying. Simple message. Unfortunately, most people will not rend their heart. They'll rend their garments. They'll do cultural things. They'll do uh, things to try and get God's attention and say, Oh, we're so sorry. But they will never change their hearts except for a handful Verse 14, we go back to something again. If you were here for chapter 1, we're going right back to the same concept. Who knows if he or God will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, which is Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, my holy mountain. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Remember, back in chapter 1, those of you that have been with us, what happened to all the crops? They destroyed. What happened to the animals? They were starving to death. What happened to people? They were starving to death. What happened to the water supplies? It was diminishing. And the Jewish people back in the day where it was centralized at that time were in horrific suffering. And now God's basically saying, tribulation saints, tribulation martyrs, 
That's the few that will come to Christ and be killed by the rest of the folks that will be left that are following the Antichrist. And God's basically saying all the things that the Jewish people had started with the first three and a half years. Remember, here we should say this real quick, quick review. The tribulation period lasts how many years? Seven years. The first three and a half years, according to Daniel 9.27, are characterized by peace or war for the Jewish people. Peace. Remember, Daniel 9.27, Antichrist comes on the scene. He confirms a treaty, a peace treaty with the Jewish people for three and a half years. The verse goes on to say, in the midst of that time period, or after three and a half years, the Antichrist breaks his treaty. Now again, if you've been with us for the weeks that I've been talking on prophecy, Revelation chapter 12, there is a war in heaven. Remember that? Satan is cast out. He comes down to the earth. And, uh, and, the, and we're told in Revelation chapter 12, the apostle John says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you, and he is wrathful because he knows that his time is short. How much time does he have left? Three and one half years to wipe out everything he can, to attack the Jewish people, to kill two-thirds of the Jewish people. If you recall Zechariah 13, 8, and 9, one-third of the Jewish people will be preserved in a place prepared for them by God. Hmm, wonder where those 144,000 young male Jewish evangelists are coming from. I'm no speculation, folks. Gospel truth out of that, out of that one-third of the Jewish remnant that God's protecting. All right, let's move on. Joel chapter 2, 16. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the, and the bride from her dressing room. What's he saying? And this is the same picture I used in, in uh, chapter 1 because now the thing that had happened in 800 B.C. now is the exact same thing that God's saying needs to happen in the prophetic future during the tribulation. Call the folks together. Call a sacred assembly. Call everyone. There's nothing more important than what we're doing right now. Get the bride out of her chamber. Get the bride. We haven't got time for weddings right now. If we don't get right with God, he is going to destroy us. That's exactly what's taking place. Today, as we also pointed out in chapter 1, the Jewish men, they'll put on when they're in a grieving state, usually during what's known as the 10 days of awe, which happens once a year. They'll put on their sackcloth. As you can see, they're still pretty much in their regular garb with some sackcloth thrown over. What are they doing? They're symbolically trying to repent. They're symbolically trying to uh, uh, get right with God, if you will. That's nothing. Folks, they won't, when this really takes place, they're not going to be able to stand there in the street like that because there's going to be chaos. It's going to be horrible, and God's calling them to repentance. All right, let's move on. Verse 17, let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage reproach, that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Here's what he's saying. They're calling out, basically saying this, God Please don't destroy the Jewish people. 
please preserve them. Don't let the heathen Gentile nations diss us. Don't let them diss you, God. He's saying, and by the way, catch the Jewish culture that's going to be reinstituted after the church leaves. The seven year, the first three and a half years, the Jewish people rebuild what? The temple. What will the Jewish people be doing in the temple? They will be doing sacrifices. Now, here's another thing where we often get confused and I get a lot of questions on. Why are the Jewish people doing sacrifices in Israel during the tribulation period? It's very simple at this juncture. The Jewish people that are returning to Israel today and will be going there through the tribulation period, are they Christians for the most part? No. These are Jewish people, as we like to say, are returning to Israel in unbelief. You say, what do you mean? I thought they were Jewish people. They're, they're, they have a strong belief in God. They have a strong belief in God, but they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So they're returning to Israel, and I've given the four major verses multiple times for the note-takers, Daniel 9.27, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Matthew 24, verse 15, Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, all talk about the third temple where the sacrificial system will be reinstated. Now, let's go back and look at the verse again. Let the priests who minister to the Lord, the Jewish priests will be there. Folks, there are 24,000 Jewish priests whose names are on the roll that are ready to go to Israel. Many of them are be, have already been trained. You say, well, how did they know who those priests were? Because I thought all the genealogical records were destroyed during the second temple period. And you know what? You're right. And well, how did they figure it out? Well, Basically, here's exactly how it went down. DNA. So they took the, they had all the Jewish males, whatever, they started submitting their DNA to a DNA bank in Israel, so to speak, and they started to determine, right or wrong, I can't, I don't know if they're right or wrong, they started to determine who had a bloodline that seemed to match up with the bloodline of the priests, specifically the Levites. I don't know how accurate it is, but bottom line, I know that there's over 28,000 men, which is what you need to run the temple in uh, the various tiers that happen, that have submitted their DNA, and they're, they're literally training as we speak. But he's saying, I want you to, and, and that's if you look at the handout that uh, we had for you tonight, you have a picture there of this on your handout. So the blue box, if you will, or octagon, I think it's an octagon, Bottom line, that is where the Dome of the Rock sits today, the Muslim Mosque. When the, temp, the second temple stood, that is the red basically outline, and then you can see where the altar is. All right? So what do we see here? What we're looking at, he's saying, I want the, and I'm going to step away and I'm going to go off camera for a mo quick moment, but they're going to basically, he said, between the porch and the altar, is where I want the Jewish priests to fall on their face and to get right with God. So looking at again, that would be basically the altar. We're looking, uh, going actually towards the west. The altar will be facing towards the east. 
and I want you to go there, priest. I want you to fall on your face and get right with me. That's what he's basically saying, okay? So that's what's happening. So what are we looking at? There's coming a day when the Lord is basically saying, in Jerusalem, in Israel, when, that, when the third temple is built, when things are starting to go wrong, when the Antichrist is starting to attack, it's time to repent. It's time to get right with God. It's time to change your ways. What's happening in Israel again as we speak, and I've shown uh, some of these pictures before, the priests are being prepared for exactly what God says is going to be coming, that third temple. I've sat in that room, I've been at that altar, I've watched uh, uh, the, the lectures being given at that very spot in Jerusalem at the Temple Institute. These are real life priests, folks. They're not, uh, they're not dressed up in costumes. These are individuals that are being prepared to do exactly what God says is going to happen after the rapture of the church. And I sit there in amazement. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. This is exactly what prophecy is spoken would take place. It's coming. It hasn't happened yet, but it's setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled when those priests literally go to, if you will, that temple, which will be rebuilt, and they will do exactly what God says will happen. Folks, how in the world does Israel, which came about in 1000 BC, has been torn to shreds over and over and over again. Every single Jewish person dispersed from Israel in AD 70. How is it that out of the 14.5 million Jewish people that exist in the world today, how is it that nearly 7 million, about 50% of the Jewish people, somehow God has pulled from all over the world and brought them right back to Israel? How can we not be amazed at that? I stand amazed at what God is doing. It's, it's beyond comprehension. How is God doing that? I don't know, but he's doing it. It's amazing. So, the priest will get the altar built. You see kind of a rendition here. They'll sacrifice the animals. They'll be doing it. You say, why are they doing sacrifices? Remember, these are they're under the Old Testament. They're not believers in Christ that are going back to Israel, the Orthodox Jews. These are, if you will, unsaved Orthodox Jews that simply want to follow the Old Testament. They have not accepted the Messiah. All right, so this is a picture of Rabbi Hyam Richman. Again, he's the head of the Temple Institute, along with a couple other rabbis that are there. And folks, these guys are hardcore get the temple built. And you say, why is... why? Why is that a big deal? Because God said it had to happen, and it's happening 2,000 years from when it got torn down. It's now, we're seeing it in our lifetime. Everything needed for the third temple is getting built. It's there. It's ready. But they can't put it up yet. Why? Who owns the Temple Mount right now? Careful. Who owns the Temple Mount right now? Well, God definitely owns it. Who's got control over God's property right now? Yeah, but who actually, do you, do you remember in 1967, during the Six-Day War, who got control of that property? The Jews! 
wait a minute, you're like, I'm confused. How could the Jewish people get control of their property and yet everybody just here, I heard you say correctly, that the Muslims control it? You're absolutely correct. Remember, and if you've been with me for the six months I've been here, how did somebody who owns the property not take control of it? Well, because in 1967, if you'll recall, here's what happens. During the Six-Day War, the Jewish people come in, the IDF, the Israel Defense Force comes in, massive victory in Israel. They take over Jerusalem. They take over the Temple Mount. If you'll recall what happens, we've shown the pictures, the generals start coming in, some Jewish rabbis start coming in, they take the Jewish flag, they set it on top of the Dome of the Rock, And the Jewish hierarchy, the Israeli hierarchy, says, get off the Temple Mount, now. The individual rabbi that had a stick, sticks of dynamite in his hand, ready to blow the Dome of the Rock to smithereens, was told to stand down, get off the Temple Mount, get the Israeli flag off the Temple Mount, now. And that was by the Jewish leadership that was in power. Why? You remember why if you were here. Because if they, wouldn't have, if they would have gone ahead and destroyed that Dome of the Rock, the Israeli officials were scared to death the Muslims would come in and destroy Israel off the face of the earth. Now, God knew that had to happen. You know why? Why wouldn't God allow the third temple to be built yet? And I don't think this is speculation. I think this is hard down truth. When did the church age start? Well, shortly after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Jesus had prophesied in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, the Olivet Discourse, that the third or that the second temple would be destroyed. That temple had to be destroyed. And in 70 AD 70, the temple was destroyed. There's not been a temple on that property since 8070, and I strongly believe there will not be a third temple until after the rapture of the church. And we've talked about this. Where is the temple of the Holy Spirit today? Right here, right inside of you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. You, Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There will be no Jewish temple on the Temple Mount until we're gone, the rapture of the church takes place, and we're up in heaven. Then the Antichrist will come on the scene, he'll confirm that peace treaty with the Jewish people, then that temple will be built. Folks, we have friends, I have Jewish friends, Orthodox friends, Hasidic friends, who are absolutely positively looking forward to getting that third temple built. They sit there, they work on the Torah, they go to their yeshivas, the schools, they learn the Torah, they're looking, looking, trying to get the law correct so that when they get the temple, they'll be able to do the 613 commandments that are spoken about in the Old Testament. This dear rabbi with his newly written scroll, which is worth tens of thousands of dollars, they're all handwritten, they're excited, they're looking forward to the third temple. The Jewish unsaved individuals are looking forward to the prophecy coming to pass but for a total different reason than me and you 
The Jewish people still do not understand, many of them. Many have come to Christ, but there's still many, many that have not come to Christ. There's a couple of folks here today that were at a wonderful church up in Mequon called Shalom, actually in West Bend now, called Shalom Baptist Church. Pastor uh, Tom Ebert, good friend. And Tom, like myself, is, loves the Jewish people. We love Gentiles too, by the way. <laughs> But this is what the unsaved Jewish people are looking forward to. Getting back in the temple, making the sacrifices, allowing us to get right with God. Folks, the gospel is the exact same for the Jewish person as it is for me and you. They're looking at that to save them. Most Gentiles are looking at their good works of some other sort to save them. We talk about it every week. And God says, listen, Christian, I need you to get right with me. I need you to go out and share the gospel. Here's, uh, we'll, we'll cut down with uh, these last few verses. What's coming after that horrible time period? Joel chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land. We talked about that last week, every time, or two weeks ago. The land, Mount Moriah, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, uh, my holy mountain, and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, folks, the Jewish people, the chosen people, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. When will this happen? Look at the left of the screen. During the 1,000-year millennium, when Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords on this earth. Joel 2.20. But I will remove far from you the northern army. In other words, the enemies that will be attacking Israel during the tribulation. I'll drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face towards the eastern sea and his back towards the western sea. Eastern sea being uh, um, the Dead Sea, western sea being the Mediterranean. His stench will come up and his foul order will rise because he has done monstrous things. In other words, on this map, when he's talking about uh, uh, all the way, it's basically what he's saying from coast to coast in Israel. So the little piece of water in the middle of the land, that is the Dead Sea. Off to the left, is the Mediterranean. That's the, the land that Israel currently has today. By the way, that's about one-tenth of the land that the Jews will have when we get into the millennium. Different, different uh, message. All right, so what do we have as we close out? The rapture of the church, seven years of catastrophic judgment, and now he's starting to talk about the blessings that are coming when Jesus Christ returns to set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Let's go to the last verse, and we'll cut, shut down with this. Go to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. I keep talking about this passage, but I suppose it would be good if we actually looked at it. You're like, how do we know you're telling us the truth there, Pastor? Well, let's read it. In Revelation chapter 19, it's, it goes through when Jesus Christ comes back. In Revelation chapter 20 now, um, well, let's, go to, let's go to 19, a few verses back. Verse 19. And I saw the beast, speaking of the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. This is the battle of Armageddon. The last battle as Jesus Christ is taking his army throne, if you will. Then the beast, again, the beast talking about the Antichrist was captured and with him the false prophet, the third member of the satanic trinity, Satan, Antichrist, 
false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him, Jesus Christ, who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. All right, so we're at the end of Jesus Christ is just returning. He goes out to Armageddon. He takes out all the rest of the individuals that are offensive to him, those that came early to fight the Lord. Believe it or not, it's going to happen. Now we're getting into Revelation 20 where we'll pick up again uh, in a week. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for what? A thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the, how many? thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Martyrs that were killed by the Antichrist and his team during the seven year tribulation. That's who he's talking about. Who had not worshipped the beast, the Antichrist or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part of the first resurrection over such the second death, meaning eternal fire, Revelation 21, 8, has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Six times in seven verses, God says the millennium is 1,000 years. Six times, seven verses, that's a lot of re repetition because God is stressing it. This isn't allegorical. It's not to be spiritualized. It is God saying it is a literal 1,000-year period when he will live and reign right here on this earth. And where's Satan going to be? He's going to be locked up for that 1,000-year period. But he's going to come out at the end. And that's another message. Father, thank you for your time. Thank you for these folks that came out on a Sunday night in July, Lord. So many folks are traveling, vacationing, other things, and uh, folks, these dear folks are here. They're in town. They came tonight. God, would you please bless them? Father, would you help us as we look at these wonderful prophetic passages? Father, help us to be burdened for souls. Help us this week to think about who we can invite to church those that we might be able to share the gospel with. Lord, these horrible times are definitely coming. Would you give us a, a love for souls? Would you give us a love for people? These things are going to happen to a generation, and it could be during our lifetime when all these horrible things will come to pass. Lord, we don't want that for a single person. So, Father, we commit it to you. So, Lord, I pray now that as we dismiss... That, Lord, you'll bless us, that you'll help us to be strong, that you'll keep us uh, strong in the battlefield as we definitely will be attacked in places for our faith this week. But, Lord, help us to stand firm knowing that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.